Hi, and welcome to Face Your Fears, a podcast where we have courageous conversations about those things that scare us most. My name is Liz, and I'm a yoga teacher, a life coach, and a political science professor at a community college. And I have a real passion for having these meaningful conversations with people who are brave enough to think about the role that fear is playing in their life. Today, I'm so excited to bring you a conversation with one of my bestest, bestest friends, Amanda. You've heard her on the podcast before with our friend Sky. Today, we're going to have a conversation about the way that the fear of lack of stability shows up in Amanda's life and some of the things that it led her to do in the search for what would genuinely make her happy in her life. I always love talking to Amanda, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. I'll be back with you after our conversation to wrap up. Enjoy. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Liz. I'm so excited that you're here to talk one-on-one. And I know we talked about this fear of a lack of stability in life. So I'm just going to toss that to you and let you tell us a little bit about how that's played a role in your life. Sure. So stability is a hugely important thing for me. Um, I am, I am this play it safe girl. I like to have a plan and then I like to have a plan for my plan. And then maybe I'll have a backup plan for my plan. And then that might have a backup plan of its own. Um, I don't do well with um, not knowing how to take care of myself. And I don't do well with not having a plan and a safety net. So it's something that's come up through my whole life. And, you know, I could spend hours talking about the origin story of that, but I don't think that's so important for for this conversation. But the, when you asked, you know, what fear do I want to talk about? I was thinking back to an experience I had about 10 years ago, not about 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, where I on paper had all the things of um, a good stable life. I owned a house. I was, oh, like a year and a half out of my divorce. I was seeing somebody. Um, I had a really good job. Like I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. I still haven't gotten back to that. And I'm totally fine with that. And everything was really great on paper. And I was miserable. I um, was working like a crazy person. My commute was an hour each way. I would cry on my way to work. I would cry on my way home. I would be a mess at work. I'd come home, my hour drive, eat dinner, and then go back to work. And I was working about 14 hours a day on average. Um, And my boss took me to task one day for not completing something. And I said, I don't know what you want from me. I'm working 14 hours a day. And his response was, well, maybe you should start working 16. Mm. And my response in my head was a litany of cursing. Um, <laughs> yes. And a lot of giving him the finger in my head. <laughs> and I said to myself, this was October of 2007. I said to myself, universe, 
you got to get me the hell out of here. And I don't care what you bring, but I've got to get the hell out of here. So a little backstory in 2007, I had um, completed a life coaching training course. Um, in retrospect, it was not very robust at the time I thought it was. And what I wanted to do at that point was to be a full-time life coach. And spoiler alert, 11 years later, that still hasn't really changed. Um, and I was trying to think, how could I, how could I launch this business and still have the stability that I so deeply needed and craved? And how could I even start a business when I'm working 14 hours a day? Like I just couldn't, I could barely breathe. So I say to the universe, universe, get me the hell out of here. About a week or so later, a woman that I had met online about eight or nine years before when I was planning my wedding, um, and she, had, she and I had met a couple of times. I used to travel a ton for work, so she lived in California at the time, and I'd met her for dinner a couple of times, and, and she was ending her marriage, and she said to me, because I was very open with a certain group of people about how miserable I was in my situation, and she said, why don't you come to Salt Lake City with me where I'm moving in like two weeks and come work at the Sundance Film Festival with me? <laughs> I was like, you want me to do what with the what? Right. <laughs> what? what? You, you, uh, oh, yeah, that's crazy. And then like a day or so later, I go on Sundance's website and she tells me what job to look for. And by the way, it was ticket seller in their box office. And she said, come, come, I'm running a house. You can come stay with me. Come do this. And so I apply. And I'll, it was, I, of course, got the job because I was supremely overqualified to sell movie tickets. Like, like I don't, I, mean, I was nervous when I had my interview. And I remember hanging up going, what am I even, <laughs> I'm a 35-year-old woman who has, like, a director-level job at a Fortune, like, 20 company. I'm pretty sure I can handle selling movie tickets. It will be fine. Um, so I get the job and it paid a whopping $10 an hour for like a week and a half of work and then two weeks off and then a week of work. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and go work at the Sundance Film Festival. Yeah, you are. And, <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> and I remember, I remember telling my dad and he's like, my dad would never say it in so many words, but the tone of his voice was, what are you effing mad? Like, what is, he's a physician. I'm sure there's some part of him that's like, is there a brain tumor at play here? Like, what, <laughs> what, what the hell is this child thinking? Um, but I was like, I know I can always get another job. I'm in IT software implementation. Like, I can always go get another job, but I've got to get out of here. And I said to the universe, get me the hell out of here. So... I went in in the beginning of November and gave my boss notice that I would be leaving in like three weeks. And he asked where I was going. And I told him, and I think you could have knocked him over with a feather. <laughs> so I, I quit my job. I want to say, I'd have to go back and look at the calendar, but I'm pretty sure my last day was December 8th. Um, I had two weeks off or three weeks off, got through the holidays. And January 1st, got in my car. My mom drove out with me in, in three days, dropped me off in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I don't know if I've ever been so scared in my life. <laughs> 
What was that like? Oh, first of all, I pull up to this house to live with my friend, Jen, who took me in and took wonderful care of me. But I think even in retrospect, she would agree like this house was like a crack house. I mean, it was, it was this house that I, because my mom pulls up with me and in her brain, she's like, I'm leaving my child here. I don't care if you're 35 years old, you're still your mother's child. Right. I'm leaving my child here. Um, the windows were so drafty that I would wake up in the middle of the night having dreams that I was like in an ice cave oh because gosh. it was so cold. <laughs> it was this crazy house. And I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Oh my God, I'm not getting a regular paycheck anymore. Oh my God, what am I doing? And so the next day I had to go for training, which if you don't know anything about the Sundance Film Festival, like it is a whole thing. Um, I mean, people come from around the world for it. it. It's a real big deal. And the process of selling tickets, not nearly as easy as I thought it would be. Okay. I had a little bit of like, you know, getting smacked down back into my place of just because you know how to do all these other things doesn't mean you can handle this thing. Right. Um, but after two days, my mom flew home and I called my best friend, John. I remember I was sitting in my car and I called him and I was almost in tears. And he said to me, I'll never forget this. He said, you sound like a little kid who just got dropped off at summer camp and doesn't know what to do. And that's really how I felt. I was like, what on earth am I doing here? Um, I'm living with a woman I know, but I don't know super well. She is in the midst of her own turmoil at the end of her marriage and working through all of that. I'm dealing with the fact that I just left home. I'm lacking any level of stability. And oh, by the way, I'm using this as an opportunity to distance myself from a man I would have called my boyfriend for the year ahead of time, but really was not at all my boyfriend. But that's a whole other story. Sure. Um, so I was like, okay, you've got this like month to kind of just be on your own and work on yourself. Um, and it was scary. It was really scary. Um, there were mornings I woke up after I warmed myself up <laughs> with, with this just like still shock of how am I here? Um, I also love to travel. I love to explore. Um, I spent a lot of time in Temple Square. Uh, I have a, I have a bit of a Mormon fascination. So I was, I took this as an opportunity to really learn about something that I always found kind of interesting. Um, went skiing, drove around. One of my big regrets while I was there is that I didn't drive up to Idaho because I had this goal of hitting all 50 states by the time I'm 50. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, I hadn't hit Idaho. But the good news is, is that allowed you and I to go to Idaho a couple yes. months ago. So it were all worked out the way it should. All um, worked out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was really, really scary. And I felt really alone. And I thought I'd lost my mind because I just gave up this whole life that on paper made perfect sense. So what was the experience of being at Sundance? Like once you kind of got past that, like, whoa. <laughs> it was cool. I would love to go back to the Sundance Film Festival. I recommend if you're a movie person and you can go, go. It's, um, 
the way the festival's set up is most of it takes place up in Park City, which is the, the ski resort, but a lot of it happens in Salt Lake as well. It's gotten so large that part of it's in Salt Lake, part of it's in Ogden, Utah, which is north of Salt Lake. Part of it is at the Sundance Resort, which is its own ski resort near Provo. Um, you know, there were days that I went to like four movies in a day, um, saw some really great films, saw some really weird stuff. Um, ever want to check out a really really twisted weird movie a movie called downloading nancy probably the scariest strangest thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> um i saw um a bunch of documentaries i mean it was just this like totally different experience and i i started to make like a little home of my neighborhood there was a great coffee shop called um coffee garden uh, we lived in a section of Salt Lake called Ninth and Ninth, which is near the university. Um, so as liberal and hippie as Salt Lake is ever going to be, which isn't a lot, but as much <laughs> as it's ever going to be, that's that's where we were. So I really tried to like sink into the city. I think if I think if Amanda of today showed up, then I might have a different experience. But then I really did the best I could. I also started thinking like, how can I start my coaching business? Um, 2008 was not a good year to try to start a business. No. Um, yeah, not, not one of my better moves in that regard. And, and the other thing is I wasn't personally ready to do the work. I thought I was, but I, in retrospect, I absolutely wasn't. Um, but that experience of just kind of throwing it all away and I didn't really throw it all away. Like a month later, I came home to my house and my cats were still here. And my friends were still here. And like my whole life was still here. Um, I went back to a previous employer and started doing some contracting work while I was trying to work on this coaching business. Um, but there wasn't quite the stability that, that there had been. And it felt both terrifying and freeing at the same time. But it was once I got back from Salt Lake that I thought, okay, how can you make this your year of adventure? What what can you do? And so I came home, tried this through this coaching business, did this consulting thing, starting date started dating someone who would then become my second husband, which is probably the antithesis of adventure, but again, that's a whole other story. Um, but in late spring of 2008, a good friend of mine was on was the president of the board of directors of the YMCA where she and I had met at summer camp. She was my camp counselor. We met when I was 12 and she was 18 and we'd maintained a friendship ever since. And she said to me one day, she said, Hey, um, they need another leader for the ISEP trip, which, um, which stood for international camper exchange program. It was a, a camper exchange that my Y, my camp did with um, a camp in Germany. So one year kids from Germany would come to my camp and one year kids from my camp would go to Germany and they needed another leader because um, they had a larger group than they expected. And she said, I think you should go do this. And I was like, well, I don't have a real job. Um, I can leave this consulting thing whenever I want my coaching business, all that doesn't exist. So <laughs> yeah, I'll go. Um, so then <laughs> the middle of July, I left for another month. Um, and took 12 kids to Germany on a youth exchange. We spent a week with, the kids spent a week with other campers from camp. 
Um, I spent a week with some of the counselors that were going to be on staff. And then we spent two weeks at summer camp. And then we spent a week touring around and we went to Berlin, Dresden, and Munich. Um, and I felt really old. I was 35. Um, one of the campers asked me one day how old I was. And I told her I was 35. And she said, oh, you're older than my mom. Thanks, kid. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, I'm aware. I have Thanks. those experiences. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, and... You know, most of the, the German campers were like in their early 20s, you know, as that as camp counselors tend to be. Um, the camp was really amazing. It was outside of a town called Hanover. And um, there are kids there from the U.S., Germany, Russia, Spain and Japan. Um, so it was it was this really cool experience. There were about 60 kids all told, maybe more than that. But I remember lying there my first night in this cabin and I was alone in the woods in this cabin. And I was lying there and there was all the sounds of the woods. You know, of course, I'm convinced there's some bear out there trying to kill me. Of course. Of course. I'm like, how the hell? Again, it was another one of those same experiences that I had at Sunday. I was like, how the hell did I get here? How, how am I a 35 year old lying in a cabin in the woods in Germany as a camp counselor? Like what is going on here? Um, one of the best months of my life. The kids were, the kids were wonderful and a pain in the ass as a bunch of, you know, 13 to 17 year olds should be. Um, they were exactly who they should be. They were charming as all get out. Um, the other counselor and I, we had a really good rapport. He was the bad cop. I was the good cop. Um, they all called me Mama Amanda, which was really sweet. <clears throat> and I still get notes from some of them, you know, 11 years later. Um, I'm not in touch with all of them, but I am with some of them, which is really sweet. That is really sweet. Um, it was It was a great experience, but it was this other time where I just, like, left my my life. Um, and did this whole other thing, which had zero. I mean, I, I did get paid to take these kids to Germany. I got paid a whopping $800 for the month. Hmm. Um, <laughs> which I was like, great. That's half my mortgage. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but it worked out. And then I came home and unfortunately my consulting gig had disappeared and I wound up having to go get a real job again. Um, but that worked out okay too. It strikes me that there are two ways to think about these two adventures that you had in in Utah and in Germany. By the way, two places I have to imagine very different from each other. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. But yeah. you know, you could look at it as kind of like escaping from life, like, you know, sort of um trying to pretend like all the things that were making you unhappy just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Or it could almost be like a, a withdrawal so that you could have the space to find clarity. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. which one of those feels more resonant with you. My time in Utah absolutely became a place where I could withdraw to find clarity. Um, it was about a week after I got there that 
I mentally and verbally stopped referring to the man I'd been dating as my boyfriend. I realized that that relationship was not what I wanted it to be. Um, and so that gave me the space to separate from him a bit, which was very good. Um, it gave me an opportunity to not feel so trapped in a job that I hated so much and felt totally um, over my head in, but didn't have anywhere I could go to with that. Unfortunately, I didn't have a good boss as a mentor. So I couldn't have even been like, I need help with this. Um, so yeah, my time in Utah really gave me some time to just begin figuring stuff out. Um, my time in Germany, I don't, it didn't, it didn't really feel like either of those, though it definitely felt more like the second. I don't feel like any of those times I disappeared and just tried to ignore the rest of my life. Um, I think I saw both of them as the opportunities that they were right off the bat. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose track of those. I also am just not generally somebody who anymore, when I was younger, I much more was, but, but now I'm not someone who just hides from my problems or hides from my life. And I think that was sort of the beginning of that process. Mm. Um, the ways in which I show up for my life now are, are vastly different than they were then. Um, but I'd say the, the Amanda of 2008 was much closer to the one you know today than mm. say the Amanda of 1998 was closer to 2008, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about yourself from these two experiences? I learned that I'm much better at taking care of myself than I think I am. Um, one of the stories, and I, I know as coaches, you and I talk stories all the time. One of the stories I had about myself for a very, very long time is that I was incapable of taking care of myself. Um, and I think that was the beginning of learning that that's not true. Um, I think, I think it was the beginning of my really knowing that I will always find a way to make it work out. I knew, I knew when I left Sundance, even though I was utterly terrified to not have a job and not have any level of stability, not knowing that, you know, the first and the 15th of the month, X dollars show up in my bank account. Um, even without that stability, I knew I could come back and get another job. And then that got even, that became reinforced when I did come back and I got this consulting job, which was like the perfect thing. And then I went to Germany and then I came back and got a permanent job. Um, but I learned that I'm, I'm much more capable of taking care of myself. I will always figure it out. Um, and I'm an incredibly resilient person. I don't think I come off necessarily as, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I hope that you will if the, your perception of me is different than this, but I don't think I come off as somebody who has a ton of grit. And I think some of that's just because I have a pretty sweet, warm way about me. And I think sometimes that grit is associated with something a bit more 
sharp than I tend to be. Um, but that said, like that was the beginning of my learning that I really am. I'm a lot stronger and a lot grittier and a lot more resilient than I ever thought I was. That's interesting because if I had known you in 2008, I might agree with you, but I've only known the Amanda that exists right now. And you appear from my perspective to just be a total badass at everything. Like you're almost unflappable. And I know that you're not, but that's the impression that I have of you. No, thank you. Thank you. And, and yeah, I think the me of today, you know, the, the one who started out in 2008 driving to Utah in the dead of winter, which, yeah, let's have another moment to go. That was not the brightest idea ever. <laughs> like, yeah, I only, oh, I lucked out in the weather in so many good ways because, wow, that could have turned out really bad. Because um, what everyone should do is drive across Wyoming in the dead of winter. Smart move. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What That's could go wrong? So cool. Right. What could possibly go wrong? Um, and also Wyoming, real big, really, really big. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really big. And Pennsylvania is pretty big, but yeah, it's got nothing on Wyoming. Um, but yeah, I think the me of today, the, the me that you've known for the last two or three years is very different than that one. But I think, I think she, me, started to really take root during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my path was absolutely not a straight line. Um, I got pretty lost in myself when I got married for the second time. Um, but then the process of getting out of that and really hitting rock bottom, um, 2013, 14 was my, my real rock bottom in life and working myself out of that and doing the hard work to get to who I am today. Those seeds were planted when I got in that car and started driving West young woman a really long way. Go West for a long time. For a long time. <laughs> Get on I-80 and just keep going. Basically was the direction. Right. <laughs> if you hit ocean, turn around right. and come back just a little. <laughs> exactly. You've gone too far. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was, it was quite an adventure. You know, three days in the car with my mom. Um, and we actually had a, we had a really great time. And I shouldn't say actually, like, I'm surprised. We just had a really great time. Um, talked about all sorts of things. Didn't talk for hours at a time, which was fine. Um, learned just how flat Nebraska is. <laughs> drove, drove through Iowa a couple of days before the Iowa caucuses in 2008. Oh, you're killing oh, me. I know. <laughs> I know. I was so sad I couldn't stick around. Um, we had lunch at a Cracker Barrel because if you're on a road trip, you have lunch at Cracker Barrel. It's yes, what you do. you do. And I wanted to get up on the table and be like, okay, folks, I need all of you to tell me your, your caucus experiences and where you're going this week and who you're voting for. It should be Joe Biden and who you're voting for. And if it's not Joe Biden, Barack Obama and who you're voting for. <laughs> right. I'm like, uh, I don't know if everyone else would appreciate this quite the way that I would. And the way that you would, because you and I share this. Yes, we do. Yeah. Oh, and the other killer was, is that the house I was in, my friend Jen didn't really have TV. Um, Absolutely didn't have cable. Yeah, we didn't have cable. So, um, and this was 2008, it was not quite the internet of today. And uh, trying to watch like um, returns and stuff as, as the politico that I am was real challenging too. 
Mm. It's kind of an adventure too. I'm like, how could I leave real, how could I leave MSNBC this month? What is wrong with me? Yeah. How do these two trips, or maybe just one of them, or maybe neither of them, but how do they, how do they feel present in your life today? Um, yeah, they both feel they both feel present in my life for sure. Um, in a couple of ways. One, I, I just look back on them with with this intense gratitude and fondness for the experience. Um. I'd say if I tell the story more of either of them, I probably tell the story more of taking the kids to Germany. Um, just because in terms of stories, there are more stories around that because I wasn't just by myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and these kids now are married and it's just, it's fascinating to see. Um, there's just some funny, funny experiences on that trip. Um, but I'd say, you know, the, the, the time in Salt Lake was probably more transformative. Um, I was really scared in Salt Lake. I was scared in Germany too, but for an entirely different reason, I wasn't so scared about the lack of stability. Um, <clears throat> and I think part of that is just because there was a, there was a whole mechanism and a whole routine that we had a schedule. We knew where yeah. we had to be, when we had to be, like, you know, this is all mapped out pretty well. My fear there was like, oh my God, these parents have trusted me with their children. Um, and I'd better not lose one or, or, or kill one. Good idea. Losing, losing one was probably way more of the, the fear than killing one because I really would have worked hard for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not that girl. Losing could have happened. Um, and you know there there were days where you know I, I'm I don't have children of my own. I hadn't at that point spent a lot of time with teenagers since I'd been one. Um, and it was it was fascinating. I remember one day we get to Munich, and one of the kids says to me, "Mom, Amanda, do you know where there's a bookstore where I could get a book in English?" And I was like, well, I've been in Munich exactly the same amount of time that you have. So, <laughs> and never before. So I don't know anything. Or, or we'd have go through the tour bus and the tour guide would say, we're going to go do this now. And then they'd all look at me and say, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I think, guys, I assure you, they're not speaking some like adult only right? language <laughs> or it's some volume that only people over the age of 18 can hear. I, I have all of the same information that you do. I don't know what we're doing other than what they just told us. Um, so like so much of my fear or, or anxiety or stress during that time was that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Much, much, and which is very different compared to my time in Salt Lake, which was just all about being on my own, figuring it out on my own, looking at what I'd walked away from or what I thought I'd walked away from. Um, and in reality, I left a job that, made me cry constantly. I, I'd left a man who didn't give me nearly the due that I deserved. And it was a nice little like kind of a reset button on life. I like that phrase. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever said it that way before, but I like that too. It very much felt like a reset button on my life. How can I, how am I, how can I start anew without giving up the parts that I still loved? 
you know, like if I'd really wanted to run away, I could have sold my house, given up my cat, sold all my earthly belongings and like gone to Bali or something forever. <laughs> but I didn't. I'm so I glad you my, didn't. I am too. I am too. I took my perfectly responsible Prius to Utah for a month <laughs> and had coverage for my cats for the month. And calm down I, there, Amanda. Exactly. Calm down. I know. <laughs> on the edge. And then my friend Kevin came out and we flew home to, or we didn't fly home together. We drove home together and just, we were crazy and we stayed in Tulsa. I mean, like, <laughs> whoa. This, I know. Whoa. I have um, some experience with Tulsa, you know. Yeah, you gotta be careful. That's true. This is this is a level of badassery I couldn't quite keep up with. <laughs> um, no, but it was like, but for somebody like me at that point who was so, who was like white knuckling through life, with a pretty constant state of anxiety that the bottom was going to fall out, and then I left the bottom and it didn't fall out, and I figured it out. Which is pretty amazing when I look back at it. Yeah. And I love, I love sometimes telling people that I quit my crazy job to go work at the Sundance Film Festival, and people look at me like, "You did what with the what? <laughs> what? No, I, I, I quit my, you know." six-figure director-level job to go sell tickets in a box office in a mall in Salt Lake City. It was great. One of the best things I've ever done. How does fear about losing stability or lacking stability show up in your life today? If at all. Oh, it still shows up for sure. Um, I don't, I think it's a rare person for whom that, that fear doesn't show up at all. And I think there are some people for whom it doesn't, but I think that's, that's rare. Um, For me, it shows up in still needing a little bit more control than sometimes I'd like to admit. Um, it shows up, it absolutely shows up in, and this might sound strange, shows up in my challenge with asking anyone for help. Yeah. Or relying on anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know you and I have talked at length about the fact that as I move into whatever next relationship I have, you know, something I want to be able to do is be more or be less afraid of being dependent on somebody. And I'd say that fear of lack of stability really, really shows up in that way. Cause that's a, that's a big struggle for me. Um, I'm still a planner. I mean, I'm a, by day I'm a project manager. So, you know, I'm a professional list maker and nagger. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. Oh, people like, it's so funny. I have a girlfriend who's a lawyer and she's like, I know what teachers do. I know what doctors are. I know what lawyers are. I don't know what the hell you do all day. And I'm like, at at my core, Julie, all you need to know is that I keep to-do lists and I nag people to get their things done. 
That's it. What that looks like that doesn't sounds matter. Dreamy. <laughs> you would hate it. <laughs> you would like the list keeping part of it. You would you would get really frustrated by a multitude of other parts of it. But I'm sure I would. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of opportunity for color coding and there's a lot of opportunity for washi tape if you want it. <laughs> Happiness is a new tape of what? A new roll of washi tape. That's right. That's right. This is why you're my soul sister. <laughs> yeah. And anybody listening other than Sky is like, what the hell are you people talking about? That's okay. I suspect there are a lot of people out there who understand the magic of washi <laughs> of tape. Of washi tape. Yeah. Washi yes. tape and good markers and a good planner make everything better. There's a reason that there are so many different kinds of staples. Okay. I'm that's, just saying. That's, that's true. The amount of anxiety <laughs> that can me. be. Exactly. If it was, we really need to be buying more because we have a whole industry that's going. I know. Um, exactly. And, and I know that we both do our best at it already, so it's okay. Yes. Staples is my happy place. Yes. So, um, yeah. Several times you've said something along the lines of, um, the, you know, the universe said, I've got to get the hell out of here. What's the universe saying to you right now? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, the universe right now is saying to me, you need to start playing bigger. Yes. Um, the universe is saying to me, you need to continue to show up more authentically as yourself. Um, the universe is saying, stop being afraid. Um, yeah. And the universe is saying you need more adventure. Yeah, sounds about right. But yeah, a lot of it's around playing bigger mm -hmm. and putting myself out into the world a bit more um, and being prepared for whatever comes of that, good and bad. I'm excited for what's next. I don't know what I don't know what 2019 is going to be, but if 2018 was any indication of what's to come, I'm, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, I can't wait to see what 2019 brings for you. Thanks, thanks. I uh, I have all these ideas in my head. I just need to sit down and make some of them happen. But we'll get there. Might I suggest a list and washi tape? Someone to nag you from time to time? Yes. I should be my own project manager. I was going to say, if you send me a list, I'll nag you about it. I have no problem I know you will. I'd <laughs> actually really enjoy that. Um, I might. There's, a, there's a, another coach that I heard her talk about the fact that she had been a project manager and that when she left that world and was working in coaching, she realized about a year or two into it that she had this whole skill set that she wasn't taking advantage of in her new life. I was like, oh, yeah, because you think you're leaving, you know, this one corporate world and you can't take any of those skills with you. But, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Why not take advantage of it? My list making and my professional nagging. I just like to nag myself. 
Yeah, you just, I think maybe like some sort of um, automatic reminder system. Like, can you, can you write emails to future Amanda and have Gmail schedule them for you? So like messages from the past saying, Hey, Amanda, have you done that thing yet? I love that. I love, I I quite often love to think about the things that past Amanda did to set up future Amanda. Mm Mm-hmm. And now most of those have to do with like putting clean sheets on the bed before I go on vacation or filling up my car with gas. But, but past Amanda can do a lot of other things to take care of future Amanda. That would, Mm -hmm. that would be really helpful. Yeah. I like it. I totally like it. So is there anything else you want to share about this? These experiences you've had playing around with stability and trying to bring more adventure into your life? I, I think I've probably said most of what I would say. The, the thing that I always want to tell people when they say, when I tell them these stories, they're like, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, you could. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, it's not that I had some special skills. I just kind of closed my eyes, held my nose, and jumped. And it worked out okay. But you know, if you told me two years before I did this, if I could ever do something like that, so I'd be like, oh, hell no. I can't do that. I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can be one of those people if that's what you want to be. I'm I'm so struck by the, the story that you've told and the story that Iris told in an earlier episode of the podcast. Um, you, you and I both know Iris and, Mm -hmm. you know, she was like in this job and it was what she was supposed to do. And she was like, I'm miserable. So I'm just going to go travel the world for two months. And ever since then has really kind of charted her own career path. And I feel like, you know, we all find ways to rebel against what we're supposed to do. It, it looks different for every one of us, but there's something about that agency, that claiming of agency of, you know, this path has been laid out for me. And now, you know what? No, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. my way. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's so much of the, of the coaching that I, I love to do with people. And I, I look at my own life, like so many of us do all of the things we are supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to graduate from high school and then you're supposed to go to college. And depending on what you do, you're supposed to go to graduate school and then you're supposed to get married and then you're supposed to have babies and you're supposed to have a career and you're supposed to, supposed to, supposed to. And what happens when you wake up at 35 or 40 or 45 and go, I did all the things you told me to do and I'm miserable. Yeah. And for some people, they do all the things they're supposed to do. And they're great, which fantastic. But what about those of us who don't find themselves being really happy and yet don't quite know what to do about it? Um, and God forbid you're a people pleaser who worries what other people are going to think about you. And then you really feel stuck. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's having those moments of going, I can forge my own path and it's okay. It's like the, it's the agency of being an adult that I feel like so few of us realize we have. I completely agree. You know, I remember being a little kid being like three years old and 
saying to my mom one day, well, when I'm a grown up, I can have a three musketeers bar for dinner if I want. And I think her response was, well, yeah, that's, yeah, you can't now because you're three and you're going to eat this. Um, and I remember at some point being an adult going, she was right. But wow, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> yeah. If only it was just what to have for dinner. Right. If only that was the only thing you had to worry about. And, and, I, and I, I mean, last night I had popcorn for dinner because I'm an adult. God damn it. And I could eat what I want. Um, also, there was. Also, there was a snowstorm and there was no food in my house, so popcorn run. But, um, yeah, it's that it's that realization of like, there are very few things that you absolutely have to do. You don't want to, which is the most freeing and the most terrifying realization. It is. It completely is. Because once you know that, you can't unknow it. Mm -hmm. Like once you see the the arrow in the FedEx logo, you can never unsee it. So true. (laughs) So why don't you talk a little bit about your coaching? Sure. So I am a um, certified coach through Courageous living coach certification. Um, and I work uh, primarily with women, though, you know, happy to work with men too, but primarily my experiences with women who, as I just said a couple minutes ago, do all the things that they're supposed to do and then wake up and realize this isn't working. Um, I often say I coach me five years ago um, because that's that's where I found myself. You know, I was 40 years old and I did everything I was supposed to do and it got me two divorces and a good old bout of depression. It was great. Um, And I really like to help women look at all of the opportunities and options that they have. And if they want to forge a path that isn't the, the should path, what do they want that to look like and what's stopping them from doing it? Mm -hmm. I also really love working with women around relationships and sexuality and sexual agency and um, standing strong in their own sexual strength. I think that's so needed, particularly now in the midst of the Me Too movement and um, the shift in um, in the world right now, and particularly in the feminist ethos. I really feel like there's a, a real shift from women should be equal to women have their own agency. So those are two different things. How could people find you if they want to find out more about your coaching? Sure. So the easiest way to find me is um, my website, which is HTTP colon slash slash www.amandalipnack, super secret name, amandalipnack.com. And I'm also on the Instagrams and on the Facebooks and um, hopefully in 2000, not hopefully, say it this way, in 2019, I will be launching a podcast of my own. And I, I look forward to interviewing you back, my friend. Yes. Um, Cause I think that would be interesting, but yeah, I want to, I'm going to be starting a podcast where people um, look at the times in their lives where they felt like they had to tell the truth about who they were, even when that truth felt really scary. Um, I think it's an interesting place. I think it's an interesting place to have this kind of conversation that you and I are having right now, just from a different angle. Yeah. That is going to be amazing. 
Thank you. I look forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I have a whole list of people to interview. Excellent. Yes. Yes. So Yay. that's how to find me in the world. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your experiences with us. You are so welcome. Thank you for asking me to be here. This is, this is both a pleasure and an honor. I love yes. opportunities like this to talk with you. Me too. Love, love. So to say that I love Amanda Lipnack is an exercise in gross understatement. In many ways, I feel like getting to know her has helped me understand myself so much better. And I'm just delighted that we got to have that conversation for this podcast. If you'd like to join me on the podcast to talk about a fear that shows up or used to show up in your life, reach out. I'm really looking forward to bringing you more conversations with people who are in the messy middle, who are still trying to find their way. And in fact, the next couple of conversations that you'll hear on this podcast really explore some of that messy middle. So as we wrap up this week, I want to remind you that my Harbor Retreat on Harbor Island in South Carolina is coming up in just a couple of months, and we have two or three slots available. So I really hope that you'll consider joining us, Katie and I, along with the other women who are planning to join us down on the island for some rest and relaxation and rejuvenation. And I also really want to give a special invitation to you all to check out my Becoming Me project for 2019. This is a book club. It's also a sisterhood, a group coaching opportunity, and so, so much more. We'll be reading one book a month and having two one-hour group coaching sessions per month. And you can join for $10 a month, or if you'd prefer to pay all at once, $100 for the year. And that gets you access to a secret Facebook group to talk with the others in the project to collaborate and brainstorm and commiserate with one another. It also gets you access to those group coaching calls, which you can attend live or you can listen to the recordings. And I hope you'll consider joining us to explore how you can make 2019 the year that you really reach out and design a life that matches the way you want to feel on the inside. Reach out if you have any questions and find out all the information, all the details over at my website, www.liznorell.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend. I'd love for you to share this with people in your life who you feel like could benefit from hearing these courageous conversations and maybe even being part of one. All right, everybody, I'll be back with you next week with another conversation, this one with my friend Rochelle, who's going to talk about fear of international travel. I think you're really going to love listening to Rochelle. She has a quiet, steady presence about her, and I can't wait for you to hear that conversation. Until then, have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week.